Welcome to The Vanderpoint. Please join your hosts, Jessica Vanderkoy and Rachel Pointer, as they challenge each other and have critical conversations about disrupting and dismantling the systems that fuel human trafficking. In our conversation today, we had talked a little bit about what, what, does, he, what does healing look like when we're in a responsive system that is tied up with liabilities and case plans and progress note, have a diagnosis, we often lose the ability to like listen and just be present. Yeah, that's true. We do. I think also it's it's another way of being busy. It just keeps us from actually hearing what's happening and being able to listen for the bigger picture, for meaning, to honor what's happening. Like the whole thing, it's very tied. It, I think it's very tied to that. Yeah. Well, and feeling important. Mm. You know, they more. Um, I see this a lot. I think in mental health, it is like with clinicians. I think people feel more important when they have the responsibility of diagnosing when they're in the higher up chair, right? When I'm the one who knows what's really going on in your brain through diagnostic criteria. Um, I don't know. I think there's some of that. Of course, not all clinicians, not, but um, you know, if it mirrors. Uh, white supremacist and privileged to catering systems, it makes sense that professionals within helping positions like clinicians, the system is built for them to be in the higher stool, right? And the, the chair that's elevated. Um, we have to have someone in need, so we are needed, right? We have to have someone who has less power, so we are powerful. And I see that play out a lot in trafficking, right? whether it's the laws we're creating, the, the programs that we're building. And I know we've talked on this, on this setting or in this forum before around building things based on what I think you need, right, as opposed mm-hmm. to what you need. And that, that trickles all the way up to the way things are funded, right? We've had the, those conversations at length. Um, but I think they're important conversations to have when we talk about what does healing look like, right? Can we be courageous enough? Can we set aside our ego enough to say, I'm going to build something that's going to allow you to tell me what you need. And I have some expertise and some information and some knowledge and some education that might provide greater insight into what you're telling me, right? So it's not that it's a for not, but what that's not what leads the charge, right? It's not my education and my experience and my stool being sitting above yours that leads the healing. Um, mm-hmm. It's you and I am, I am fluff around it. <laughs> yeah. I, so I have thought about that particular piece a lot, especially in how we typically like think of, you know, how people heal. And for most people, their first response is, well, you go to therapy or like, you know, there's some kind of therapy involved and like, it is so much of that positioning someone's expertise and, and that reflection is so, I think even a few months ago, probably would not have reflected on that. It probably would not have hit me like, oh yeah, that's tied to it too. But even I mean, thinking about all of the data that we have that shows support and evidence for different ways of of practicing, right? Those the healing practices and all the data that we use to support why this 
methodology is different than this one and why this one's better and, you know, all of those things, how all of those things are also skewed because they come from that position that it's that you need someone to tell you, you need someone else who's the expert, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of maybe not that. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think we're, you know, with kind of integrated health models that have been spreading across the country over the last several years, you know, it's been an idea for a very long time, hundreds of years, actually, and looking at our mind body connection and that you can't sort of separate the two. And then we've westernized it and put rules and policies and grant funding requirements, you know, to it. And hospitals and medical systems are, are starting to buy into this idea. But the idea that you can't separate, you know, your mind from your body, right, that you may tend to one singularly, right, one at a time. But it makes a whole lot of sense that, um, we're looking at other ways of healing other than particularly sort of traditional talk therapy. Mm -hmm. And for some people who are verbal processors who, you know, need to tell the story to metabolize it, to move it through their body, that absolutely works. So it isn't, you know, it isn't a knock on the the profession because Lord knows I, you know, I make a living doing that. Um, (laughs) But what about like moving our body, right? What about, expressive arts things what about music what about just getting to a place where our distress tolerance is is wider right and how do we do that do we do that through talking through a whole bunch of things we can um but we also can by really being mindful and aware of our bodies right Mm -hmm. um how do we experience pain and trauma in our bodies and then tending to those things, sometimes just one at a time. And I don't, you know, there's not a lot of programs that, you know, that I know of that, that really have sort of intentionally brought in a whole bunch of other things to look at healing as being prescribed and decided by the person who needs, who's asking for the help and healing. I don't, you know, and I, you know, I'm in my little box in the middle of the country, so that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But I just know that as a system, we're still really heavily weighted on sort of traditional therapy. It used to frustrate me a lot with when I worked in the child welfare system and, you know, case plans would be, you know, as a case manager, you'd you'd write and you'd send to the judge and then the judge would order the case plan typically. And every single case plan said, you know, to therapy. You know, I think what it should say is something like, you know, attending to past trauma and being able to to process it and learn skills to be able to not hold within. Right. So what we don't process stays stuck in our bodies and it impacts our thinking. It impacts the way our our body feels. It impacts our health um, and we pass it down and spread it to the other people, to other people around us, makes it hard for us to be in relationships. When you say therapy, right? It's like, okay, they went, you know, every week for six months, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know? and going every week for six months did what exactly? <laughs> right. So when we talk about words matter, I mean, you know, what if we just started saying what we actually really meant. This person has experienced an extensive amount of trauma throughout their entire lives and their entire life, right? So Mm -hmm. um, what we need is for it to be 
processed and, and healed and repaired. And please partner with the client on finding the best ways to be able to do that. Yeah. Reframing the whole thing, I think is so hard for us because like so many of us have built our entire careers coming to all of this from a very specific lens. And as we start to unravel that and think it through and see like how in so many ways we've been getting it wrong or we're doing damage that we didn't necessarily intend to do, but because we've only been looking at it through this very specific lens, that's what's been happening. And it's tough for us, I think, to start unraveling some of those things. But when I think about like my own healing and my own healing journey, like therapy, yes, absolutely played a part, but in real life, um, there were so many other things that have led me to this space where I am now and obviously still have work to do, but like, (laughs) you know, I'm fairly functional (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, and (laughs) traditional, traditional, like everything's would say, you know, I didn't spend years and years and years in therapy. So I clearly can't be where I am, Mm -hmm. you know, but For me, therapy was only one part of and is only one part of like that journey and that process because I'm not a like one dimensional being, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's, yes, there's different like modalities of treatment, right? So you can do lots of different kinds of therapy, quote unquote, but like at the end of the day, it's verbal processing like that doesn't work for everyone. And sometimes it works in some areas and not in others. And engaging the whole body requires us to engage the whole body, not just our mouths, you know? Right. Yeah. Do you know of any programs that are doing a good job in, in honoring like um, people who've experienced trafficking and this type of exploitation who are, who are really honoring the entire person and involving, you know, the entire um, sort of being of someone as they, (laughs) as they heal. I can't say that I know of any that are like a hundred percent getting it right. That especially those that are like trafficking specific. I mean, I think there's a lot of programs and a lot of folks out there that are doing pieces really well, you Mm -hmm. know, um, but I, not really. I mean, and that doesn't mean they're not out there. It just means that I don't know of them and slash or can't grab the thought out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> pull yeah. it out, you know, but I think the programs that I, that I um, think of are, are the ones that are more like actually literally individualized, like recognize that each person comes in and needs a hodgepodge of things not a streamlined, well, you need housing and education and job training and da 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 da, da you know, uh, but really allows for things to be tailored to meet the needs of that, of that person and having that person drive that. They also tend to be really low budget mm-hmm. and, and like their program is that way, not because they necessarily designed it that way, but because they have to figure out a way to stretch the dollar, right? you know, and get really creative with how they do things. I think says something. I'm not entirely sure what it says, but I think it says something like, yes, more money is helpful with a program, 
but it's not everything. And a lot of times the more, more funding becomes a crutch um, Mm -hmm. to stopping the use of that creativity and, and can become like this. Well, now you can just plug everyone in here at therapy. You can get everyone therapy. Great. Awesome. Because you've got funding for that. Well, not everyone Mm -hmm. needs that and not everyone um, responds to that, but you know, there's like this weird balance thing going on. I'm not saying just for clarification's sake that folks don't need funding. <laughs> People need funding. But I, I think I think you kind of lose something if you haven't intentionally built out your program models to be individualized and directed in this the success measurements are directed by the folks who are receiving the services. Mm-hmm. If you're not intentionally set up that way. And you're only doing it that way because that's what you have for resources and you're kind of outsourcing things to folks so that your budget stretches farther. When funding comes or if funding comes, then you lose that, Right. you know, unless you're really intentional and like actually building that direction and building that way. Do you think, can you think of any programs that are really doing that, doing right by thought? Well, I think, um... I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I do think that the program that um, that I built over the last several years really honored the importance of relationship. The, the staff to client ratio was very low, which enabled for, you know, things to go, you know, three steps forward and four steps back and two steps forward and one step back and mm-hmm. kind of um, mirrored the, the idea of real life that sometimes we start to feel better and start to get some things in line and something happens, whether it's because of a system and maneuvering requirements and um, or old relationships coming back or just our mental health symptoms kind of getting so big and overwhelming and then really honoring the idea of social connections, um, access to therapy to work through things when people were ready. That was never a prerequisite for the program. Mm -hmm. Um, It was always something that um, there was some autonomy for the client in and everything. Uh, The staff used, the clinicians who were in the program used to call it almost like pre-therapy So working on feeling safe enough, feeling validated enough, having um, a place where you knew where you were going to lay your head that night, you know, all of these other things that had to be in place. If you had aches and pains or needed access to medication or those kind of physical health needs, we had a component worked into the program um, with the idea that um, through that, that process, eventually someone would get to the space where therapy would actually be really helpful, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, what we had built there. I give, I always gave the staff an example when we do, when we do training, which was, you know, let's say you have, you know, an impaired or really difficult relationship with your parent and you are, are you, do you have any fears like spiders, snakes, flying? No, I mean, I don't like those things, but. Mountain terrified or anything. Anything that gives you panic? No, no. But I mean, I I know enough about fear and terror and how it can like control you. If you're on a flight, you're afraid of flying, and you're just trying to put one foot in front of the other. You're trying to make it off that flight alive, right? You want to control where you sit. You want to control next to you. You want to control if there's an aisle seat or a window seat. You want to eat. You want to eat. 
you want water, don't water, all of these things you are just getting through getting from one destination to another. I sit down next to a very helping um, therapist and I say, you know, I like to start with you um your relationship with your parents right yeah <laughs> let's, let's double that up and then say you know um and i'll i'll cover the cost of your flight if you're willing to do that right i'll help you i'll help you get dinner tonight if you're willing to right i mean so in a lot of ways this idea of pre-therapy which is i mean there's a, i'm sure there's another term for it but that's a lot of what our room did was saying, let's get you off the flight, right? Let's have you know exactly where you're sleeping, mm-hmm. right? Let's not attach purse, purse strings on whether or not you're ready to talk about the relationship with parents right. and that trauma experienced. And so I think we forget that. Phase. And, and in my personal opinion, I think we forget that phase because people want to measure other things. Mm-hmm. They want to measure bigger longer term out, you know, things that are, you know, this person is healed. This Mm -hmm. person is, you know, um, and so it's not as fun for the funder maybe or the staff to write that report. Right. Um, And I I, I know that feeling because I've written the reports. Mm -hmm. We have people who show up um, who originally were, um, you know, feeling really unsafe, right? Um, and now they're leaving their home, right? Now they're going and eating in a restaurant. Now they are able to process um, what's what makes it hard to sleep. That's not all that exciting to an unknowing or, you know, an uneducated funder in that mm-hmm. area, right? Mm-hmm. They want to hear somebody completed 10 therapy sessions and, you know, is now able to hold a job. I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm making that up. <laughs> So when we, you know, when we talk about, you know, how funding and what we measure really dictates these things, mm-hmm. um, you know, building this, this kind of pre, right? Nobody wants to be on that flight afraid processing it's, the trauma of their relationships when they were a kid. Yeah, yeah. The a tendency, I, I like the, the idea of like pre-therapy kind of, you know, like preparing for that. We have an aversion to going upstream. And it shows up in all of the places, including this one. Mm -hmm. We need to go upstream for healing too, not Mm -hmm. just to like put an end to things. Or it's like we can't for some reason, and I'm sure it's fairly nefarious, but for some reason, like we can't figure out how to start at the beginning. Like you don't just heal. Even, even with six weekly sessions? Even with six, six weekly sessions. It's not like there's a lot that goes into getting you to a place where if therapy is going to be beneficial for you, it can be beneficial for you. And there's a lot that goes into the in-between sessions. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, the hard work happens. The sessions are easy. Yeah, the it's session is the easy part, right? It's the six seven. It's the six days in between your session, right. where seeds have been planted, where you've had to think about things that you've avoided and mm-hmm. pushed down, and ask for things that you've never been able to ask for, and all of those other yeah. things. And so that support in those six days is is really important. Yeah, but if all we're worried about is funding the therapy sessions, like. Here we are in the river catching the babies that we threw in all over again. 
Yeah. Like it's the same thing. And damn it, there's so many parallel processes. Here we are again. Here we are again. Uh, And so it's actually, you know, the idea that we're coming to a close on, you know, on this, this particular subject in this podcast, Mm -hmm. at least with their original plan, I think kind of brings us back to one again, right? Mm -hmm. Our words matter, um, the ability to stop and pause and listen before you talk, right? Yeah. what role do we play in perpetuating these, these power and control structures that then we, mm-hmm. um, you know, that then emulate themselves within our service delivery system um, and the way things are funded. Like oh, these are all things we've talked about over the last several months and, and kind of coming full circle in when we talk about healing, right. It's like, yeah, we are. Yeah. I think for me, that whole piece around healing, you have a different idea of what healing is than I do mm-hmm. and vice versa, right? But we still in some weird way think that everyone should arrive at this same plateau of success, mountaintop, whatever, like, oh, I'm healed and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'll be able to whatever the goal was um, that was set for me. You know, we just, I think we have to find a way to let go of the idea that I know what success is for you better than you do, that I know what healing is for you better than you do, that I know what hope is for you better than you do. And dare I say that I know what justice is for you more than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, on a on a large scale as well as an individual granular scale like we have to find a way to let go of that because it really blocks us from thinking about everything in a way that allows us to see the big picture that allows us to recognize that it's a both and that you and I are the same and we are different Mm-hmm. and I'm capable of things that you aren't, and you are capable of things that I'm not. And the way you see the world isn't wrong. It's different from mine, and I don't see it wrong either, mm-hmm. right? Like all of those things, because we have this weird idea of what's what's the end game. It's whatever I say it is, right? <laughs> and like whatever success, whatever healing, whatever justice is, like that's, I'm the one who defines that for you. And that's mm-hmm. like what it really all comes down to. And well, I'm gonna, you know what though, that conversation that you just sort of had about, you know, how we're the same and they're, and we're different, like actually in some circles is a really deep introspective kind of really great conversation. The two of us can have when we see each other as equals, mm-hmm. it's easy. It's exciting. Um, it's forgiving, right? And it's like, of course, of course you, you know, you have things that you can do that I cannot do. And, and yet we're both really worthy of all the good things, right? And you might, I mean, heck, you might even have a whole women's group on that thing where you meet on a weekly basis and you talk about just that subject, right? Yep. It's different when we see each other as equals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely It's different. Right. When it's the haves and the have nots, when it's the power and the control over 
um, you know, the product, right? What, what, what deliverables are we, are we doing, right? It's different when it's like, those are life choices I wouldn't have made for me. And right. now you're bearing consequences, right? Yes. And so I think when we talk about getting to this place where we can have healing and justice decided by the people we serve, first, you have to do a total check yourself um, on your interactions um, Mm -hmm. with people who you don't see as equals. And the first question is probably why, why do you not see that? Mm. Um, Because, you know, it's often rooted in helper helpy, right? Um, Client versus staff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Teacher versus student, where those, those power and control dynamics are just, are there Mm -hmm. um, because of where people are seated in our relationship, right? Yeah. So you saying what you just said is like completely valid. And I'm like, yeah. And, and that's great. Cause I see the same thing in you. I see that you have qualities that I don't have and, and whatever <laughs> else. But as you were talking, I was like, well, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, but where's the freaking problem? Well, the problem right. is <laughs> right. Um, we're not having these types of interactions and conversations with people who we don't see as equals our clients, people who have extensive trauma, people who have mental health and trauma symptoms that are unbecoming to us, that are a pain Mm. in our ass. And uh, it takes a softening of the ego, right? And some loosening of the reins with a backdrop of all people have dignity and worth. Yeah. And if you're not there on any of those things, right? Like I can't soften the reins, right? Or I'm not sure that everyone has dignity and worth, right? Mm-hmm. Or I mean, everybody probably falls into different. That's a pause point for you. That's when yeah. you go to therapy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and not to make light of that in any kind of way, because I think in all reality, especially those of us who who find ourselves in these professions, these helping professions or the like protective systems, we do need therapy. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I, I'm a firm believer in it, both as someone who's delivering it, but also someone who goes to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that uh, no knock there. But yeah, so I think it's sorting through those things so we can actually get to the place mm-hmm. um, of allowing the people that we serve to help us transform our healing and justice systems, right? Yeah. Where someone else is in the driver's seat, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The person who's actually seeking healing and justice is in the driver's seat, yeah. right? You know, I think I think of some of the folks that I know that listen to this podcast and they're um, by trade or profession, whatever you want to call it, right, are, are in careers that intersect with the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, or are deeply embedded in the criminal justice system. And I think about how difficult it must be to have these kinds of conversations, even with themselves, because of the way that the work is set up in those systems to see justice and rehabilitation, even if you want to call it that, like in only one way. And mm-hmm. in in within those systems that there's like so much power and control that is not rampant necessarily, but rampant. Um, You know, some of those dynamics are so prevalent um, Mm -hmm. within those systems. And how do we begin 
unraveling for ourselves, you know, and reimagining then how could we still work within these systems or um, begin to tear them down, you know, from that same perspective around that mm-hmm. we're just talking about around healing. And I, I don't, I mean, I have my own opinions about that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think anytime we do something that's going to be sustainable and authentic, it's slow. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think of things like other systems that have changed over time that in hindsight, we go, uh, how was that? ever the way we did things, right? Yes. It wasn't that, you know, enough research came out and people listened to a, po- a couple of podcasts and then were like, oh, well, that's crap and we're changing that, right? It was all the little things we're talking about, being aware of our own role. Are we a spoke in a wheel that kind of keeps it spinning, right? So maybe it isn't that you're going to bust up the whole wheel, right? Or take the wheel off the bike. Maybe it is, I don't know. But maybe the first step is like, hey, I am a participant in moving this forward and I, I can envision something different in the future. And so the way I talk about the problem is going to be different, right? The way I staff cases is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about, you know, we're, I think we're in the middle of this looking at more taking on a different model within our criminal justice system related to trafficking. I, and I think we're moving in that direction. But when I think of like some of the spokes that have happened that kind of kept that wheel spinning that we've is the idea of no arrest policies, right, Mm -hmm. Um, around prostitution. And um, that is a spoke in a wheel that leads to a space where the way we interact and see um, victims of human trafficking, right? So it's, it's, it's deciding how to take that spoke out a reflection on who you are in that and either maintaining it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we go to the next spoke, right. We go to the next, the next thing that's sort of keeping that wheel spinning. Um, Some of it's, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this where I just get impatient and I just want to burn it all down. (laughs) Right. Um, And the reality is that sustainable and authentic change, whether it's in ourselves personally, whether it's in our relationships, whether it's in systems, happens because we've done the personal work to know our role and and what we need to do to change and the changes that we're suggesting and moving are 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 sustainable right mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and so it's it's slow mm-hmm. it is it's absolutely slow and i think to answer your question again in a different way <laughs> i would say that what's so essential in that is to be able to pause and look at the spokes that are changing, right. That are different because, because the process is long, the process, you know, um, for you and, you know, myself, I mean, you have way more years in, in working in anti-trafficking. Um, so it's painful, right. To watch sort of the same issue play out. Um, this reminds me, you know, kind of give another example of how change happens and how it's slow and it's little things and how you and I were a part of some of that was, we had one of the things we took on five or six years ago was how minors of trafficking were being treated um, by our juvenile justice system and our child welfare system, Uh, you know, and it took us a couple of years to get to the place where we could lead a discussion and a training um, of child welfare and juvenile justice staff 
and being able to tell them that their policies and the way they were delivering services were actually fairly consistent with the way a trafficker operates. I remember doing Mm -hmm. happy dance with you when we were planning that training because it was like, holy shit, we've been wanting to tell them this for two years. Mm -hmm. And here we are. I think that they're ready for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, And so, and it wasn't that nothing happened in those two years, but it was, it was the pregame, right? Um, And And so for people who are in systems where it feels like, you know, I can't completely redesign this right now, you probably can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But your words matter. Yep. How you use survivors to give you answers by putting survivors in decision-making roles, how you listen, working through your own personal bias and the way you, how you do things as opposed to what you do, being willing, all these things we've talked about. Do you have a complex of being? you know, a white savior, right? Because it makes mm-hmm. you feel good about going home every night because you're a good white person. Right. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, but all the things that we've talked about over the last several months are in fact the work. Mm-hmm. It's what happens in between sessions, right? Like that's right. all, that's the work. <laughs> Y'all have been to therapy for <laughs> you know, right. I love that. And the in between, that's where the work is. Thank you for witnessing today's conversation on The Vanderpoint. Jessica and Rachel hope you will join them next time as they continue engaging in this critical work.